Hi, I'm Taylor, and welcome to the TD Nutrition Podcast. Welcome back. This is episode 14, and this episode is all about Lyme's disease and my personal journey with Lyme's disease. So it's kind of a long episode, and I debated breaking it up into two parts, but I think I'm just going to do one long episode. So I'm going to start with my personal journey with Lyme's disease, and then I'm going to get into talking about Lyme's disease, um, different triggers for Lyme's disease, foods to avoid if you have it, foods to eat if you have it, and then herbs and supplements that are beneficial if you have Lyme. First, I'm going to note that it's Lyme disease and not Lyme's disease. I often say Lyme's disease. Sometimes I say Lyme disease. I don't know why I do that. I hear other people who talk about Lyme or who have Lyme do the exact same thing. Don't know why we do this, um, but it is Lyme with no S, just L-Y-M-E, Lyme disease. So I was diagnosed with Lyme disease in September of 2018, um, almost two years ago, no, almost three years ago. And prior to that, I had been sick for almost exactly one year. My first symptom popped up September of 2017. My first symptom was this eczema-looking rash on my shins. And it was just a few spots and it was pretty itchy, but I, I didn't think much of it. I just kind of figured, oh, it's fine. It'll go away. I didn't really feel like sick until that, till January of 2018. So I just had this rash for a few months, um, just kind of sitting there and it, it progressively got worse. By December, it had moved to my arms and my rib cage area. And it was really uncomfortable. Like I, the only thing I could do was to scratch it because it was so itchy that that was my only sense of relief. Um, and I was trying creams. They didn't seem to work. And it was just super miserable. At one point, I thought maybe I had ringworm because I had gone to the doctor and they thought that I had ringworm. So they put me on some antifungal medication for ringworm and it didn't do anything. Like I took it took two rounds of that and it did nothing. The rash didn't go away. And something I'm going to point out, which will be important later, is like November, December of 2017, about the time that my rash got worse, I decided to go keto. I don't really know why. I think because it was being talked about a lot. I was curious about it. I had just started my nutrition program, so I wanted to try it out at least to just gain some knowledge around it. My diet prior to that, there was nothing wrong with it. I had no issues with my diet, but I just had this bright idea to go keto, which eventually like came back to bite me. So now back to January of 2018, my skin was terrible. It looked terrible. It was super embarrassing. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll go to the dermatologist. The dermatologist tells me that I just have a bad case of eczema. More than likely, my body's just attacking itself for some reason. 
and he can give me a steroid injection. Looking back, I never would have done the steroid injection, but in the moment I was so miserable and I just needed something to calm my skin down. So I was like, okay, sure. About a week after getting the steroid injection, I regretted it, but my skin was better. And then two months after that, it came back. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna go back and get another steroid injection, that's, that's ridiculous. During this time too, this was probably like January to like March, April of 2018, I was exhausted, beyond exhausted, which is something that's not really me. Like I don't take naps. I'm not one to nap even like on the weekends. I just, that's not me. And I was napping during the week, like two and a half hours a day. And granted, like I was in my master's program. So like I had the flexibility to take a nap. It wasn't like I was at work and couldn't do that. But I would not have been able to make it through my day unless I took a nap. And that was weird. That's not normal behavior for me. So that was kind of a red flag. And then I was just dealing with my skin over the course of the next few months. And then come August of 2018, I decided to see an allergist, thought maybe there's something I'm allergic to that I just am unaware of. And nothing came up. I did a bunch of scratch testing, had no allergies, really no significant allergies. So then I was kind of stuck again. And also at the same time, like I just felt myself getting weaker. Like I work out all the time. I'm very active. I wasn't able to do the things that I normally do with the same amount of strength that I once had. So I just knew something was wrong. So the allergist that I went to specialized in eczema and was able to give me or said that he could give me a injection, a series of injections for this drug called Dupixent, which it's funny, there's a lot of commercials for that on TV now for people who have asthma. And it's, a, and it's an immune suppressant drug. And I, I was going to do it because I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, this might be my only answer. So I was kind of talking it over with my acupuncture doctor just to get her opinion um, because I really value her opinion and she was like I I wouldn't do that because it's going to suppress your immune system and something's going on and you need your immune system and so the last thing you want to do is suppress it like my body is not attacking itself it's attacking something we just don't know what it is so the easiest answer is to be like oh it's just attacking yourself you have an overactive immune system but that's really not the case it's trying to tell me something So I decided not to get the Dupixent drug. And one day I decided to Google if you could get a rash from having mono. And mono is Epstein-Barr virus. I've talked about it in in other episodes. And I'd had mono in high school. And you can have flare-ups of mono. Like you always will have Epstein-Barr virus in your body. So I thought maybe I had some flare-up of mono and I had this rash to go with it. So... I called my doctor and I asked if if they could get me a lab form so I can go get tested for for mono. And so she decided that, well, okay, let's just throw in Lyme's disease just to see. It may not, but since you're going to go, we'll just test you for that as well. So when I got my labs back, I had, in fact, tested positive for Lyme's disease. And it was such a huge relief to know that okay, something was wrong. Like I was right. Something was wrong. And this was a huge lesson that I learned. Like our bodies don't lie. When when they're showing a symptom, as annoying as that a sim- symptom may be, it is trying to tell us something. 
our bodies don't lie. They're quite smart and all they wanna do is to keep us healthy. And if there is some sort of virus or bacteria or infection in our body, they wanna fight it off so that we can be well and be healthy. So when things come up, it's because your immune system is actively working to keep you healthy. It's not attacking itself. It's actually doing something for your well-being. And so I have to remind myself of that when a symptom pops up even now, because I still deal with symptoms now that, you know, my body's telling me like, okay, maybe you're eating something that you shouldn't be eating that's bad for your Lyme. So you need to kind of like reel it in and be a little bit more focused on what you're eating or whatever it may be. Because there are certain foods that actually feed Lyme because Lyme is a virus. And so when you eat more of those foods, it's actually giving it strength. So by eating foods that help heal Lyme, you're going to like starve out the virus. And it took me a while to learn that. Like a lot of it, I had to do my own research. A lot of it, I ended up learning about immune health and autoimmune conditions in school and then that combined with my own research, I just learned a lot about Lyme and and other chronic illnesses. And one of the things that I did learn was that fat feeds viruses. It fuels viruses. And so going back to when I decided to try out keto, and that kind of was the trigger for my Lyme to get so bad because I was literally just putting gas on a fire it was just like here here's all this food for you to just get strong and make me feel like terrible so I learned that later and so that was a huge mistake for me to go keto and I now know that someone who has something like Lyme or lupus or any autoimmune condition should not go keto um I'm not totally against keto. I know that most women don't do well on it. It also strongly impacts our hormones. Um, But yeah, I think that at that time when I chose to go keto, it was kind of the tipping point for my Lyme. So now with all of the um, research I've done and making shifts in my diet, it has made a huge help. And I am now in remission, even though I still struggle with my skin condition a little bit. It's nowhere near as bad as what it used to be, but it still is there. And I still have little spots that flare up now and then, and they are like super pale white. There's like no pigment in those spots. Um, And so I like still worry if they're ever going to get pigment again and and blend in with my skin tone or if they're just going to be these white round spots. Um, but it's still better than what it was. So I'm, I'm super, super thankful for that. Um, but even before getting to the dietary shifts and stuff, like I had to be on antibiotics for 10 months, which I hated every second of that because I know how bad antibiotics are on our gut health and they're really not great for our immune system. And I, I ended up learning that if you're on a high dose of antibiotics for more than two weeks, it can take over a year for your body to recover from that. And I finished my last antibiotics a little over a year ago, and I can still tell that I am recovering. Like my gut health feels significantly better, but there are still things that I'm like, okay, this shouldn't be bothering me, but it is. And it's just that like lasting impact from the long-term antibiotics that I was on. 
so that's pretty much my journey with Lyme in a nutshell. I mean, there's so many more details, but I could go on forever, but that's like the gist of it. And it's, it's a constant battle, basically. Like I still kind of, I mean, I still deal with it. It's not like over, I'll always have Lyme and I just have to be super careful with what I eat and things like that. So now we're gonna jump into all the informational stuff about Lyme disease. Lyme disease got its name in November of 1975 when there were multiple children and young adults who were developing symptoms like chronic fatigue, headaches, and joint pain. And so this launched an investigation into the area kind of in and around Lyme, Connecticut, which is where the name Lyme disease came from. And at the time, though, these symptoms were being reported and felt by kids and young adults all around the country. It wasn't isolated to just Lyme, Connecticut. Um, There was only one case, though, in in these people who had Lyme that had actually been bit by a deer tick um, that carried the disease. So that's kind of interesting. Only one person who was diagnosed with Lyme at this time was actually bit by a tick. Um, So like, what about all those other people that had Lyme but weren't, weren't bit by a tick? So Lyme disease is more often than not, not caused by a tick bite. So most people don't get Lyme from a tick bite. There are hundreds of thousands of people with Lyme who've never been even near a deer tick and they still have Lyme. And and I'm one of those people. I have never been bit by a tick. I mean, maybe, and I don't know it, but that's not something that I wouldn't remember. So um, yeah, I've never been bit by a tick and I still have Lyme. So doctors and researchers have now realized that they have been focused on studying the wrong bacteria for Lyme um, for the last 30 to 40 years. Um, So really up until recently, if you had Lyme, you weren't even treating the real bacteria that was causing Lyme because they were studying the wrong thing. Um, So it's still like all this information is still new and it's just going to get more precise Um, Now that they've kind of made a shift in realizing, oh, actually, we got to go in this direction. Um, And also now it's realized that Lyme disease is not caused by a bacteria strain, but it's actually a virus. Um, And what could be tough about testing for um, a virus in like lab work is that oftentimes viruses don't show up in our blood. They hide out in our organs. So, you know, you're going to give blood to see if you have Lyme disease and you may in fact have it, but it's not going to show up on your labs because it's hiding out elsewhere in your body. And you can carry Lyme disease, but not show any symptoms. And then like years later, it could, something can trigger it and then all of a sudden you'll get sick. And I'll talk about what those triggers are later. So only 0.5% of Lyme disease cases are caused by a tick bite. 0.5% of all the cases of Lyme are actually from a tick. Um, If you get diagnosed with Lyme, you should also ask your doctor to test you for Epstein-Barr virus and HSV-1. Um, HSV-1 is the virus that can cause like fever blisters or on your lips. And these can be signs that the Lyme is manifesting itself in your body in other forms. Or if you think you have Lyme, you get tested, it's negative, and then you can test for one of those other two things. And if you have one of those, you probably have Lyme because again, it can be manifesting itself as one of those. 
So Epstein-Barr virus is commonly known as mononucleosis or mono, which I mentioned, and it can sit dormant in your organs and cells and eventually be triggered and cause a variety of different issues in the body. And one of those issues is Lyme disease. This virus, Epstein-Barr virus, it can create toxins in the body, which is called viral byproduct. And viral byproduct is essentially waste matter from viral particles that are living in the body. And then this waste matter, when it's looked at, um, like when you do blood work and then they go look at your blood under a microscope, the waste matter can look like spirochetes, which this is what labs look for when you have Lyme. So if you do have these spirochetes as a result of Epstein-Barr virus, um, you can get a false positive for Lyme. So there are more in-depth panels that you can do to make sure that you do, in fact, actually have Lyme. Uh, I forget what it's called. I should know the name because I've had it done so many times. Um, but they test other things like different immune responses to see like, you know, if you have it and like how deep it is essentially. Um, also, it has been said that if you carry Epstein-Barr virus, that eventually it could cause a mutation and become Lyme in your body. Um, so sometimes I wonder if that's how... I got Lyme is that I know that I had mono in high school and then Epstein-Barr can like go dormant and then if it manifested itself again and then it just became Lyme because that's also possible. Now I'm going to discuss the symptoms of Lyme. So Lyme disease causes a lot of symptoms that are also part of many other autoimmune conditions which can make it difficult to pinpoint what's wrong with you because you could be describing, oh, this is what I'm feeling, and then maybe your doctor's like, oh, well, I think you have this. So there's so many symptoms that overlap with other things that that's why it makes it hard to figure out what's going on. So symptoms of Lyme include multiple sclerosis, lupus, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, extreme or persistent fatigue, muscle pain, weakness, twitching or spasms, restless leg syndrome, brain fog, burning skin, jaw pain, dizziness, migraines, anxiety, aches and pains, joint pain or swelling, tingling or numbness in the hands and feet, and a rash on the skin. And what's really interesting is I never struggled with anxiety at all and one of the things that developed with my Lyme is severe anxiety and that was weird for me to kind of manage because I wasn't used to something like that and it was like why am I feeling this way so when I found out that was a symptom of Lyme I did feel better that it wasn't like this random thing that was happening to me it had like a root cause now I'm going to get into triggers slash causes of Lyme most of us will carry a virus in our bodies for years without even knowing that it's there. And Lyme can be inside your body for a long time before you even start to show any symptoms of it being there. Viruses typically hide out in our livers, spleen, small intestinal tract, the ganglia of the central nervous system. So it can be hard for the immune system to detect them because they're kind of hiding out. So the immune system doesn't really know that they're there and therefore won't fight them off. And more often than not, they hide in the liver. That's probably the most common place. Um, 
and Lyme will hide in your liver until there is a trigger like poor diet or a traumatic event that weakens your immune system. So then the virus is able to get stronger and start causing symptoms. Foods that feed viruses can also be a trigger. Foods like um, eggs, gluten, dairy, high fat intake, um, toxins like toxic heavy metals or toxic preservatives. Also, I want to point out that your overall health can play a role in how badly any virus can affect you. And so this goes for the things like the flu and COVID as well. Two people can have the exact same illness, but the one who eats well, exercises regularly, and gets enough sleep may not become as weak or have as severe symptoms as they possibly could with that illness, while someone who doesn't exercise and eats poorly will rapidly get sick and get all the severe symptoms that come with that virus. The following triggers of Lyme that I'm about to go through are listed by their prevalence. So I'm going to talk about the most prevalent triggers to the least prevalent triggers. So these don't create Lyme, but they are triggers that can trigger existing viral infections like Lyme that had maybe once been dormant, but then they've triggered them to now show symptoms and make you feel terrible. And it's important to note that there sometimes can be delayed responses where the symptoms surface. So sometimes you could be exposed to one of these triggers and you can develop symptoms shortly after the exposure or it could be months later. So that's that's important to remember as I go through the list. So the first trigger on the list that is the most prevalent trigger is COVID. The only reason it's first is because COVID is new and that's, you know, everyone's studying it right now and talking about it. Um, so it's the most prevalent trigger because a lot of people who carried Lyme disease who didn't know they carried it now are getting a Lyme diagnosis after having COVID because it's given a chance for the Lyme to surface. And this is because COVID is a viral infection. It therefore weakens our immune system, providing an opportunity for the dormant virus like Lyme to surface. So if you're someone dealing with neurological Lyme disease, and maybe you're improving or you're still dealing with harsh symptoms, it can cause more issues for you because getting a fever, which you can get when you have COVID, it strains the nerves in our bodies that either are already weak from having Lyme or they've healed from having Lyme, but then now they're dealing with being strained once again by having a fever. So if you're dealing with neurological Lyme disease, um, it's important to kind of go back to the things that you would do to treat your Lyme so that your body can heal again and get back to a place of feeling better. And I also want to point out that maybe you don't carry Lyme disease, but maybe you carry some other form of, of a virus. Maybe you have Epstein-Barr virus um, and then you contract COVID and then that Epstein-Barr virus that you carry could actually get stronger when your immune system is weak, weakened by COVID um, and it could give you uh, symptoms that feel like they're prolonged even when you no longer have COVID. So I think it's important that if you catch COVID, um, that you work really hard to eat foods that kill off viruses in the body, because then that will minimize any prolonged symptoms you feel like you may be having. 
So on to the second trigger for Lyme. So the second most prevalent trigger is mold. Mold can be anywhere from inside your home to at your office. And when you're spending so many hours of your day in an environment where there's mold, you're inhaling these different funguses. So if there's a mold in your home, you're inhaling that all the time. And then if you leave your home to go to your office, therefore you're inhaling even more funguses. And this really wears on your immune system. Like you don't think that it would really have an impact, but it does because you breathe in tiny microscopic spores from that mold and they attach onto different cells of our body, weakening our immune system. And this could allow Lyme to surface if you carry Lyme. Um, So if you live with other people in the same household or you work with other people in the same office that there may be a mold present, uh, you may wonder why they're not showing any symptoms. And they may not have the same viruses living in their body as you do, which is why maybe they don't, they feel fine and you don't feel well. So that's something to think about if you suspect you might be living in an environment where um, there is a mold present. Next is mercury-based dental fillings. So if you have old mercury fillings, which these are also sometimes called silver fillings uh, in your teeth, your dentist may want to remove those for your safety because we know now that mercury is extremely toxic. Um, So if they decide to remove all of these mercury-based fillings at once, it can be extremely dangerous and it overstresses our immune system. Um, Because we know toxic heavy metals, they feed viruses um, and weaken our immune systems. So you would want to make sure that they only remove one at a time. And in between having one removed before you get the next one removed, you really want to be focused on strengthening your immune system and doing things to make sure that you're flushing out heavy metals um, and things like that. Um, And also be aware that while they may only be removing one at a time, it's still very hard for that mercury to not end up in our bloodstream. Um, so again, if, if you have mercury based fillings that you're getting removed, I would suggest you to listen to the toxic heavy metal episode. And I talk a lot about foods that help flush out, um, metals from the body and that will be really useful information. The next trigger on the list is extensive blood draw for lab work. So when a large number of vials are drawn, when you have to give blood for lab work, it stresses out our immune system. So it gets our immune systems get stressed out because um, our white blood cells, they live in our blood and our white blood cells are our main immune defense system. So when we give large amount, large amounts of blood at one time for labs, a large amount of the white blood cells are leaving our body and it takes a few months for those to come back. So while they're trying to come back, viruses like Lyme disease, they can surface and maybe any other illness that you have. If you have to give a lot of blood, your immune system is going to be weakened for a few months. And so any illness has a moment to get stronger and odds are you might even feel worse after you get lab work done. So if you do have to get lab work, because a lot of times we have to get like yearly labs done to check how things are doing, ask if you can just do half files instead. Um, the labs really don't need as much blood as that, as you think they might need. Um, so I'm sure if you asked your doctor to just write half vials instead of full vials, they wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, and women should be especially careful when getting labs done. And this is because we often weigh less than men and, um, the same amount of blood that they would take from a man would maybe be okay. But then 
if we're smaller and weigh less, that amount of blood might have a harsher impact on our, our immune system than it would for them. Um, and the older you are and the more illnesses you have, you are also more sensitive. So you wouldn't want to give as much blood. So always opt for half vials when doing blood work if you can. Um, most doctors don't have a problem doing that. So you just have to ask them. The next trigger is mercury in other forms. So um, mercury-based dental fillings was one trigger, but now this is mercury in other forms. Any source of mercury is poisonous to us. So frequently eating seafood, especially fish like tuna and swordfish, those contain significant amounts of mercury, and this can eventually cause a breakdown for your immune system and lead to a viral infection. And not just tuna and swordfish contain mercury, pretty much anything that comes out of the ocean that we eat contains mercury, except for seaweed and other sea plants, because um, much like plants on land, they filter out toxins and we need plants to take the pollutants out of our air, which is why having indoor house plants is great because it cleans the air inside. Sea plants are the same way. So those are totally safe to eat. Seaweed's great to eat. And in fact, seaweeds are great at flushing out mercury and other metals from the body. But any fish um, that you're eating is gonna contain pretty high amounts of mercury because our oceans are just getting more and more polluted. So salmon used to be considered safe and it is still safer than most other fish, but don't eat it all the time because it does contain mercury. Um, and I know a lot of times people then opt for farmed fish because they think that there's no mercury. Um, but a lot of times there still is traces amount of mercury in farmed fish. And then they also carry a lot more parasites and funguses, which are just as detrimental to our health. So it's just really easier to cut down or completely cut out your consumption of fish. Over the weekend, actually, I watched the documentary on Netflix called Seaspiracy, and I didn't really think that I wanted to watch it, but I was hearing a lot about it, and I was like, okay, I should watch it. I'll learn something. Um, and there's a huge environmental impact when you eat fish. So, you know, by not eating fish, you're not only bettering your own health, but you're also helping out the environment. So there's like two really good reasons to cut down or cut out your fish consumption. Um, so just a side note. But um, as far as mercury goes, we're, we're always vulnerable when it comes to mercury, especially um, when it comes to the medical field, which is something you may not realize. Um, so you may want to double check with your doctor to make sure that any um, pharmaceuticals that they are prescribing to you don't contain any traces amount of mercury because a lot of prescription drugs do. And we take them and we take them regularly and we're unknowingly taking mercury as well so talk to them about that because they might be able to um, help you find a brand that doesn't have trace amounts of mercury in it especially if you're someone who is dealing with a chronic illness or a virus like lyme disease you know you don't want to be adding in other things that can continue to make it worse the next trigger on the list is pesticides herbicides and fungicides if you spray any of these on your lawn or your garden, or maybe you live near a farm or a park that is regularly sprayed with these, um, or maybe you spend a lot of time on golf courses where they regularly spray these on the course, then you are regularly inhaling uh, the toxic chemicals that are in these products. 
And the toxic chemicals in these damage the cells in our bodies while also feeding any viruses that may be present, like Lyme or other things. Next, we have insecticides in the house. Any type of bug spray, ant spray, roach spray, anything like that that's meant to poison insects also poisons you when you breathe those fumes in and those fumes then feed viral infections like Lyme disease or any other illness you're sick with in that moment. The next trigger on the list is the flu. So similar to COVID, flu weakens the immune system allowing for other viruses to grow in the body like Lyme and also with the flu you can get fevers as well so again if you're dealing with neurological Lyme this can cause a lot of issues for you because fevers heat and strain all the nerves in our body that are already weak from Lyme or maybe have just healed from Lyme so if you catch the flu and you have neurological Lyme disease, you want to be really diligent about eating healthy and eating foods that kill viruses. Um, and if you've had the flu and you notice that maybe you're feeling worse, um, you could have neurological Lyme that has just surfaced. The next trigger is um, a death in the family. So the emotional trauma of losing a loved one can weaken your immune system and give strength to viral infections. And this is because your adrenal glands will be overworking to deal with all the intense emotions around this trauma of loss. And when it lasts for more than just a short period of time, it becomes damaging and starts fueling viruses. So after um, dealing with loss, you could trigger your Lyme or another virus to surface. The next trigger is broken heart and taking care of a sick loved one. So both of these, like going through a bad breakup or a divorce or something, um, and caring for a sick loved one, they cause emotional trauma that weakens the immune system and strengthen viruses, similarly, similarly to what you go through if you deal with a death in the family. The next trigger is a spider bite. And if you notice, I haven't gotten to tick bites yet. So spider bites are more prevalent of a trigger for Lyme disease than tick bites are. Spider bites are account for 5% of Lyme cases. If the bite leaves some of the venom from the spider in your skin, it can cause an infection, and then this infection weakens your immune system. And similarly to an infectious tick bite, um, an infectious spider bite will leave a bullseye ring red rash one out of five times. Um, so just because you don't necessarily get a rash from the bite doesn't mean that you haven't developed an infection from the bite itself. The next trigger is a bee sting. Um, like spider bites, bee stings are much more common triggers for Lyme than tick bites are. Bee stings account for 5% of Lyme cases. And an, an infection can result from the sting causing any virus in the body to surface. So it's not the sting that directly gives you Lyme, it's the sting that creates an infection that surfaces Lyme that you have already. The next trigger is prescription medications like antibiotics. Viruses love antibiotics. They love them. They, they fuel off of antibiotics. So... Antibiotics, they, they kill bacteria, not viruses. So if you take an antibiotic, you're taking it to kill off some sort of bad bacteria. Um, and 
when you take an antibiotic, it's killing off bad bacteria, yes, but it's strengthening any viruses that you may have. If you suspect that you have a virus like Lyme and your doctor wants to prescribe you antibiotics, ask them if there's another route you can take. Because again, from what they used to study for Lyme for decades, they, they've now realized that it's incorrect, that they were studying the wrong bacteria. So you may quest, want to question your doctor if there's another prescription that you can take other than antibiotics. I'm willing to bet that if you do in fact have Lyme and your doctor puts you on antibiotics that you will feel significantly worse. And this is because when you're taking those antibiotics, you are allowing the Lyme to get stronger, which means the symptoms are more prevalent, making you feel like you are more sick. Uh, I personally experienced this. When I was on antibiotics for Lyme, I felt like I was way worse than before I started the antibiotics. I, I didn't feel that they were actually helping. Um, and it was it was not fun. And I was on them for 10 months because I thought it was my only choice. That was the only thing that I had to help get rid of the Lyme. And again, as I did more research on my own and studying Lyme, there are so many other options than antibiotics to help treat it. And I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about antibiotics once I finish talking about the triggers. The next trigger is recreational drug use. Illegal and legal drugs contain toxins that can weaken your immune system and give fuel to viral infections. The next trigger is physical injuries. If you twist your ankle or get into a car accident, this does take a toll on your immune system, even though it may not seem like it. Like you may just think that, oh, I just twisted my ankle. It's just like, you know, a physical injury. It's not going to have any impact with my immune system, but it does. They are connected. And it's even more likely for a physical injury to weaken your immune system if you need an operation to fix any damage from that injury. The next trigger is summer swimming. When the weather gets warm, red algae builds up along the shores of the oceans and in lakes, and too much exposure to this algae can weaken your immune system and fuel viruses. So if you swim in the ocean a lot in the summer or in lakes a lot, you just want to be careful because it may trigger um, some sort of existing virus like Lyme. The next trigger is carpet cleaning products. These products use chemicals that are extremely toxic and breathing these in when you're indoors feed viruses and weaken your immune system. So if you do need to get your carpets clean or something, you can opt for green cleaners and using green carpet cleaning services. So they typically use an organic cleaner. It contains a lot less toxins than traditional carpet cleaning products. There are still some toxins in there, but there's a lot less. Um, and if you're a highly sensitive person, you should consider removing your carpets altogether because again, the green cleaning solution still does contain toxins. So if you're super sensitive, you're better off just not having carpet at all in your living space. The next trigger is fresh paint. Paint fills the air with toxic fumes, weakening our immune systems and fueling viruses. The next trigger is insomnia. Any sleep disorder weakens your immune system because we need sleep to strengthen our immune systems and heal. So when you're not getting enough sleep, everything starts to weaken and it can trigger a virus to take over. 
And the last trigger, this is the least prevalent trigger for Lyme's disease, is a tick bite. Tick bites count for only 0.5% of Lyme cases. A tick bite, yes, can trigger Lyme, but it's highly unlikely. All of these other things are much more likely to trigger Lyme than a tick bite. Um, but if you have been bit by a tick that, and you're aware of that and you developed a rash to where you know you got an infection from the bite, then yeah, it probably did cause your Lyme. But 0.5% is a pretty low number. A lot of people have Lyme's disease. I did not remember getting bit by a tick. I didn't remember getting bit by any sort of bug. Uh, it just, my symptoms started. And I think that one of these other triggers was much more of a factor in my Lyme than than a tick bite. I just, I don't remember getting bit by a tick and I do think I would have remembered something like that. So now I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail about antibiotics and Lyme. So antibiotics can typically make Lyme worse. So like I said, I felt so much worse when I was on antibiotics after being diagnosed with Lyme than I did before. Sometimes when a person with Lyme feels worse on antibiotics, your doctor will tell you, oh, you're just having a Herxheimer reaction. And this is a reaction where they say that the bacteria is dying off, so therefore you feel worse. But this is often incorrect. And this is because, again, Lyme isn't a bacteria. It's, an, it's a virus. And so the antibiotic is feeding it. So you are feeling worse because the virus that is Lyme living inside you is getting stronger and making you feel worse. Also, antibiotics are very harsh on the gut and the liver. Antibiotics kill all the good bacteria in the gut that are part of keeping balance in your di digestive tract. And all that good bacteria in your gut is also part of your immune system. So when an, an antibiotic is killing the good and the bad bacteria, it's wiping away a portion of your immune system. And a really interesting fact, I wouldn't say it's a fun fact because it's not fun at all, but it's interesting, is if you are on an aggressive antibiotic for two or more weeks, even if you take a daily probiotic, which taking a daily probiotic while on antibiotics basically is doing nothing because the antibiotic is just killing any of the bacteria from that probiotic. But if you're on an aggressive antibiotic for two or more weeks, your, your gut might need a year, if not longer, to recover from that. And, and that a year is a minimum of recovery time, but it's probably going to be longer. So when I look back at my experience, I was on an aggressive antibiotic for 10 months. That was two months shy of a year. My gut's still recovering. I'm highly sensitive to so many foods that when I eat something that is out of my norm, I feel it the next day and probably for a few days after that and my skin gets worse, like I'm still highly sensitive and it's because I still haven't fully recovered from being on antibiotics for so long, which is really frustrating because when I started those antibiotics, I thought that was my only option and I really wish I could go back and choose something else. Another thing that you should remember when you're taking an antibiotic is that the liver absorbs most of the antibiotic that you're taking which this results in short-term liver shock and stress. And when Lyme mostly hides out in our liver, it's feeding off of that antibiotic. So taking antibiotics with Lyme both compromises the immune system, which is your only defense 
and it's fueling the Lyme. So it's like the worst thing that you can do when you have Lyme. So it's like, again, I said before, putting fire out by pouring gasoline on it. Like you don't want to do that. Um, Fortunately, though, like more integrative Lyme specialists are opting for natural nutrition support and intravenous vitamins first before even attempting antibiotics, which is great because normally people will get better with the nutritional support and the intravenous therapy anyway, which the intravenous vitamins or intravenous therapy, same thing. It's, It's an IV with vitamins in it to help bolster your immune system so that then your immune system can fight the Lyme off which I did both antibiotics and the IVs, which I wished I would have done just the IVs because I actually probably would have gotten better a lot sooner without the antibiotics kind of defeating the purpose of taking the IVs. But anyways, um, so yeah, I'm excited to know that that people are shifting away from antibiotics when it comes to Lyme. Um, Lastly, there is an exception to the antibiotic rule, and and this is when an infection is present, say from a spider bite, a bee sting, or a tick bite, that leave a part of the creature in your skin, whether it's, you know, the head of the tick or the stinger of the bee, when it's still in your skin, you can use a mild antibiotic for a short period of time just to help make sure that there is no bacterial infection developing from what was left in your skin. But again, that's only a mild antibiotic for like a week or something. It's not like aggressive for this long period of time. So now I'm going to get into foods that help heal Lyme and then the foods that you're going to want to cut out of your diet if you do have Lyme because they're just going to make you feel worse. So first, let's talk about the foods that help heal Lyme. These foods essentially starve out the Lyme virus. They aid in killing the viral cells of Lyme. They help with detoxification. They help with repairing brain cells and help recover the central nervous system because Lyme does attack your central nervous system, which is often why people have joint pain and things like that when they have Lyme. So you're going to want to incorporate as many of these foods into your diet as you can and eat them as often as possible. Um, So first we have leafy greens, asparagus, wild blueberries, radishes, celery, cinnamon, garlic, apricots, onions, potatoes, winter squash, broccoli, cauliflower, cilantro, parsley, apples, oranges, grapefruit, papayas, bananas, tomatoes, spinach, and lettuce. Also, I'm going to be posting the list of the foods to eat and foods to avoid, as well as the herbs that I'm going to talk about. They'll all be on my blog, so if you want to check out the list, um, it'll be there. So next, we're going to get into the foods to avoid if you have Lyme. So these foods, if you eat them, they'll continue to feed the Lyme and not allow your body to recover. So these include gluten, eggs, dairy, vinegar, all vinegars, including apple cider vinegar, and apple cider vinegar might be the worst of the vinegars to consume, MSG, canola oil, and an excessive intake of fats, and this includes healthy fats like olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, olives, um, 
and uh, avocados. So you don't want to have too many fats because too many fats feed viruses. So if you're dealing with Lyme or some other virus, you're really going to want to minimize your intake of fats. Lastly, I'm going to talk about herbs that help heal Lyme. Uh, and I'm going to go through the list of herbs and these will also be on my blog. First, we have fresh celery juice, which I've talked a lot about for other things. If you have Lyme disease, you will want to have 32 ounces of celery juice daily on an empty stomach. So you can break that up into two 16 ounce glasses, like one in the morning and one in the evening, or just do 32 ounces in the morning and get it over with. Next, we have barley grass juice powder, cat's claw, curcumin, glutathione, lemon balm, licorice root, nascent iodine, nettle leaf, raw honey, spirulina, vitamin B12, preferably a vegan B12, vitamin C, and lastly we have zinc. So all of these herbs or supplements help to boost the immune system and fight off the virus that you have, which is Lyme. Um, Also, a lot of these things are great just to boost your immune system in general to prevent yourself from getting sick. So that wraps up today's episode. I think this is like the longest episode that I have recorded, Um, but hopefully you found it helpful. If you don't have Lyme disease, hopefully you found that, you know, you're not feeling great to continue to figure out what the root cause of it is and know that eventually you will have an answer as frustrating as it is and if you listen to this and you do have Lyme I hope you found this super helpful and maybe you'll be able to heal faster than I was able to and again I just want to remind you that our bodies are really smart and when they are expressing a symptom whether it's a rash or something else They're telling us that something is wrong and that our immune systems are actively fighting something. Um, Our bodies aren't attacking ourselves. Um, They're very smart and every cell in our body just wants us to be healthy. And when something's going on, it's because they are trying to get you back to a state of health, not because, you know, they're just attacking you for no reason. Uh, So keep that in mind if you're ever diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that something is probably going on. And if you ever have any questions or you would like to work with me one-on-one, you can send me an email at tdnutritioncoaching at gmail.com or check out my website, tdnutritioncoaching.com. As always, thanks for listening.